Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We are still dealing with the theme of the primacy of God's Word, and the sub-theme, sub as it were, is hearing the Word of the Lord with your, with your spirit. Okay? And uh, we're continuing this, this theme, and our intention is, in the sub-theme, to develop maturity in the realm of our spirit component. You know that we are, we are body, we are spirit, soul, and, and we are body. And what we are trying to do progressively through engagement with the Word of the Lord is to develop maturity within our spirit beings, because that is quintessentially the most important part of who we are. Uh, Not that our soul and body is relegated to any lesser of a function. Each has their respective functions. But the driving force, the the platform of operations has got to be your, has got to be your, has got to be your spirit. And so um, I've attempted to diagrammatically depict body, soul, and spirit, Um, the diagrams you see on this flip chart is also reflected on page four of the note that you have in front of you. If you want to turn there quickly, um, if you look at diagram two, that is the one at the top of of the flip chart, if we represent spirit, soul, and body in concentric circles, with the center circle being spirit, the next being soul, and the outer ring being the body, we depict it in this way to indicate the centrality of the spirit in the man. So the centrality of the spirit indicates its pivotal and strategic placement in the function of the man. So this is center. The centrality here indicates that this should be the platform from which drives the other two spheres. So we move out from the spirit to the soul to the body. We don't start in the body and move inward to the soul and the spirit. So, for example, John 4 says, They that worship me must worship me in small s there. They worship me in spirit. The emotion of the soul or the gesture of the body, lifting up the hands, or an emotion, let's say you, you're crying as you worship God, or ecstatic joy and laughter in a praise song. That is not worship. That is the expression of it. Worship starts in your... They that worship me must worship me in spirit. The start of the process is always in spirit, and it moves outward. Okay? A, a, lot, a lot of people that don't worship God in spirit are dependent for good emotions in the soul or a good feeling in the body to make their praise and worshipful responses to God acceptable. Okay? That is why a person that worships in spirit can be in the midst of the most severest trial and feel downcast even in the area of the soul 
or fatigue even and sickness even in the area of the body. Yet there is a propulsion that, that, that starts from deep within the spirit of the person that overrides the state of the soul or the condition of the body. So David can say, and he speaks to his, from his spirit platform, he speaks to his soul and he says, Why art thou downcast, O my soul? Hope thou in God. He even instructs his soul in Psalm 103. He says to his soul, Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's an instruction to the soul. You will bless the Lord. Okay? So everyone say, Worship in spirit. It's John 4, verse 24. They that worship me must worship me in spirit. Right? Uh, even Paul said this in, in Philippians 3, 3. He says, we are, not of this, we are not of the circumcision. We worship God in spirit. Everything takes place in spirit. Right? It will, it will then um, imbue and saturate the soul with what takes place in its spirit component. But it's very, very important that your spirit life, your spirit component of you, be mature and be developed by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, He that is joined to the Lord is what? Come on, talk to me. Is, is one spirit with Him. So, if I take that literally, the word joined there we discuss in the Greek means to be glued. So he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So really, while the Holy Spirit is in me, and while Randolph has a spirit, my spirit is joined to the Holy Spirit to such a degree it could be said of me, I have one spirit. Two yet one. I can become indissolubly linked and connected to the Holy Spirit in my spirit such that it could be said, they are indivisibly one. Right? And we discussed this how, for example, many times in the New Testament, human actions are attributed to the work of the Spirit. In Acts 13, they laid hands upon them, Paul and Barnabas, and they were sent out. And the Bible says, so being sent out by the Spirit. But men laid hands, but the description is, the Holy Spirit did it. Human actions can be so accurate they are attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit. Hmm? So when you do a thing, you do it, but it could be said the Holy Spirit did it. Right? Because you and the Spirit are one. For us to get to that level of operation, my concern is we have to develop maturity within our spirit component. Right? We have to develop maturity. I'm, I have a serious concern today meeting too many Christians with a poor substance of spirit. There's no fervency in spirit. I talked about fervency in spirit just now. There's no steadfastness in spirit. You, you, you meet most Christians today, they are weak. They have no bubbling, boiling forth in the spirit. Right? You, it's evidence in worship. It's evidence in prayer. You ask people to pray, it's like, okay, here we go. Weak hands, poor utterance. You discern the content of, you see, because by your body gesture, not that we look at the external, 
and make a judgment on the state of the person. But the, 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 the state of your spirit will automatically ooze forth into and affect your soul, even your body. If you truly have a fully developed and mature spirit. I'll show you a scripture in a moment how that even in sickness, the Bible says the spirit of a man can cause him to endure his affliction. Right? And so I really want to encourage you. That's why I've been literally almost daily sending you the test. Pray in the spirit. Do something. I mean, if, if, if we want to train, Josh has been training. If we want to train, if I want to develop muscle and enter the Mr. Natal uh, bodybuilding context in 2014, guess what? I have to apply myself from today to the rigor of consistent, rigorous, highly disciplined training to get a bodily result, right? So I can do all the poses. What is true in the natural is also true in the spirit. You neglect your spirit life. You neglect kusharababatokori, and you're praying in the spirit. You neglect word. Guess what? In time, I'm going to see an undernourished, underdeveloped spirit component within you. Not so? So tell your neighbor, develop your spirit. I, 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 I want to charge this house because we mustn't become so intellectual that in terms of we, we high on doctrine, we can espouse things. But this, the, our administration of the spirit dynamic seems lacking, right? For that to develop, if, if, if I tell you now, Moira, here's a person, rise up and prophesy. It's, it's a dynamic of the spirit. You pitch in straight away, not so? And you must simply accede to the demand of the Lord from the platform of your spirit almost instantaneously. That's going to demand acuteness and awareness in your spirit like you've never ever have before this is where we're going and this is what the lord's been been talking to me about personally right so i get up today the first thought of my mind is before i do anything even if it's privately in, in my mind let me consult god let me talk to god in my native heavenly tongue let me what what does the bible say i build myself up in the most holy faith i'm developing my spirit amen so i really want to encourage you we focus too much on externalities. Most of us take huge amounts of time preparing the external. How much? How about taking even more time preparing your spirit man? Because what is going to give you the edge? And I say this seriously. What is going to give you the edge in the realms and we, that we are going into is a fully matured, on fire, well-developed spirit component within you, right? I'm not looking to externalities. I must see how well you are dressed. I must see how well you are groomed. All that has a place. And please, don't, don't let up on that, right? My, my thing right now, I'm seeing, what is this person? you hear, but what is your representation in your spirit component, right? That is the issue. That is where we are going. And so, we've been dealing with, in the past, uh, uh, a few weeks, this area of the flesh that seems to be under attack. The Holy Spirit in my spirit is warring, the Bible says. The Bible uses the term warring. There's a, a war going on between the Holy Spirit within my spirit 
and the, the desires of the fleshly nature. And the spirit lusteth or warreth against the flesh. And the flesh against the spirit. Galatians says, and these are contrary. They are opposed to each other. So that you cannot do the things that you, you want to. And I've, keep on, I've been keep on um, laboring the point. One of the ways in which you must certainly will develop a well-rounded, fully mature spirit is to deal with the weaknesses of your flesh. Because if you surrender yourself unhealedly, or healedly rather, to unbridled, undisciplined fleshly pursuits, it's like you somehow just, it's, it's, it's unchecked, it's unbridled. You give yourself over to fleshly indulgence. If that, if that is the, 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 the case, the impact will be twofold. The impact will be upon your, upon your soul. Lot saw and heard the lawless deeds of the men of Sodom. What does the Bible say? His soul was what? His soul became vexed by what he saw and what he heard. So carnality has a serious detrimental effect Upon the state of the soul. In Israel, the Bible says they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness because of the mixed multitude that influenced them with greedy desires. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. And what happened to the soul? You know this? What happened to the soul? Leanness. Everyone say leanness. So it caused leanness, and the word implies a shrinkage. So carnality shrinks the soul in this respect. It disempowers the soul, takes away from the soul's capacity to willingly yield to the leading of its spirit. The spirit wants to lead the soul. The spirit wants to lead the soul and ultimately find obedient expression in the body, in your behavior, outwardly. But the soul becomes, because via the mechanism of the soul, you live intelligibly in the world. Through your five senses. We said this over and over again. It, um, the, the, listen carefully. The body, James says, without the spirit is dead. Not so. The body without the spirit is, is dead. The soul uses the senses through the body to give expression to itself. In the order of things, the spirit should be the command post, the nerve center. Headquarters, if you would. Your spirit is headquarters. It is the place that will give instruction, the place that will configure the entirety of your personal kingdom. If this big circle represents you, your personal kingdom, your domain, the place, the center of operations is your spirit. But if you indulge in carnality, you weaken the soul's ability to submit to the leading of the Spirit, the soul will actually then rebel against the Spirit. So you can be exposed to word, 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 word. You hear every Sunday, every Bible study. Playing the MP3s in your home, just saturated with the word. And yet, if you do not um, put aside the filthy works of the flesh, what you are saying yes to in your spirit can be negated 
by a disempowered soul to willingly yield to that. You'll be aware of truth. You will know what to do, but powerless to obey. Hmm? In fact, I'm thinking of it now. Remember James 4. James 4 says, Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to do what? Is able to do what? Able to save what? Save your soul. The word is able to save your soul, dependent on how it is received. But what does the previous verse say? Right? Putting aside all superfluity, all fleshly pursuits. So it first says, put aside all of that. Then it says, then now receive the word with meekness that is able to save the soul. Okay? Now, we looked at several, and I just listed them on page one on your notes. All the ticks there. I'm not going to go through all of that. Several keys in the last session. Uh, Last session was fairly lengthy, not so. We took a few weeks to finish that note. But I think it's such an important uh, segment of of our present study. Right? And I want to encourage you, please rehearse them. You know what I'm finding now as I obey? And I'm, I'm obeying every tick there on, the, on page one. Right? Let's just go through them. Do not love the world. Neither the things that are in the world. Do not set your mind on things of the flesh. Do not have close associations and intimate alliances with friends who are carnal. Always be in a position where you are accessing grace. Because Titus says, the grace of God teaches me to deny ungodliness. So I must have grace to say no to sin. Right? Walk and live in the Spirit, which is simply being obedient to the Word. Pursue love as the ultimate goal. Give no place for the devil. Do not give him opportunity through carnality to advance his work further in you. He should have nothing in you. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Cleanse yourself as a vessel of honor and pursue holiness. Hate iniquity. Love righteousness. Consciously lay aside every weight and sin that easily trips you up. Put on Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Do not engage in deliberate planning to satisfy the flesh. Remember the word provision, pronoia, where it says, make no provision for the flesh. It means forethought. Don't plan ahead to engage in the activity. Right? Some people just find themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, not planned. But yet there are others that are planning. <laughs> it says, it give no forethought to, be, to the willful, deliberate engagement with fleshly pursuits. Make no provision for the flesh. If you make provision for the flesh, you will never overcome it. The fact that you are planning proves it's ruling you. Okay? So make no provision for the flesh. So we went through all of that. I want to continue with the, um, the idea and the theme today of hearing with your spirit. Let's say, let's say we've dealt with that carnality issue. We've dealt with the works of the flesh. And we are growing in this capacity to overcome our fleshly weakness. Now, how many of you are are dealing with that? You are 
making progress. Amen? Is it progress? Or should we repeat the whole of session 19 again? Pointless going on to other things when we haven't dealt with where... See, some things are preparatory to where we are going. And I really believe that dealing with, 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 with fleshly sin is a serious stepping stone. Once you've mastered that, there is no stopping you from what's going to happen in development and maturity in your spirit man and the full restoration and renewal of your soul. I'm finding, I'm hearing with greater clarity than I've ever heard before. Finding even my faith level is, is raised, being raised significantly. Okay? I'm finding a boldness and a confidence in where previously I lacked. And I want to encourage you to do the same. At the bottom of page 1, John 15, 3. Now are you clean through the word, the words which I have spoken to you? Jesus said that, John 15, 3. Look at me quickly. What's the context of John 15? What, what's the context is about the pruning of the, the vine so that it could bear more fruit. From fruit to more fruit to, to much fruit. And in the context of that discussion, Jesus makes an alarming statement to his disciples. He says to them, now are you clean through the words which I have spoken. Not to the words which you have read. He didn't say you are clean to the words which you have read. He said you are clean to the words which I have spoken. If something is spoken, it implies it must be. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. That is why I'm so strong that if you are not under the sound of my voice, you already on a back foot. Because you are not in the place for the, for the building up of faith in you. And so I lay no expectation. Listen to me very carefully. I lay no expectation on anyone to overcome if you haven't heard me yet. Having heard, I expect you to be clean. Because you are clean through the words I have. In fact, I'll demonstrate this later. I'm of the firm, firm belief. Your spirit man can be cleansed in the moment of hearing. Even You don't have to come to an altar call and for me to lay my hands upon you and pray. I am trusting God in the present economy. In the moment of my release of it, the sound of divine words in my mouth will cleanse you if you sit with the right attitude and posture. Right? We will pray. We will have altar calls. We will lay hands on the sick, etc. But I declare like Jesus declared to his disciples, now, not when I pray for you, now are you clean through the words that I have spoken to you. I am of the firm belief that in the moment of hearing, your spirit can be cleansed. But your soul is only purified as you obey what you've heard. First Peter 1, 22. Right? You're purified having, right? By your obedience, First Peter 1, 22, by your obedience to the truth, you purified your soul. So I want to say it again. Your spirit man can be cleansed in the moment of your hearing. Right? Um, every time I go to an apostolic school of ministry and I sit, 
under those that teach. You sit for five days, literally the whole day, under the sound of word. You feel like after you leave that week, you feel like you're not of this world. You know what's happened? Just the sound and the reception of spiritual words released from spiritual men has the impact of cleansing and bringing purity to you. Right? And then as you obey what you've heard, you bring your soul in alignment to where your spirit man is. Okay? Now are you clean? I love these words. I just couldn't this whole week and last week, could not get away from the scripture. Every time I open my eyes and I go to sleep, it's on my mind. The Lord's telling me, Randolph, you're clean through the words you've heard. Now are you clean through the words you've heard? Tell your neighbor, you're clean through the words you hear. For those of us that preach and share from this pulpit at any level, whether it's reading the scripture, whether it's table of the Lord, word of exhortation, or teaching, I want you to adopt a new mindset as you preach. Adopt because you are delegated to do something. As you speak, speak with authority. Speak as the cleansing agent of the Lord to your listeners. Right? You speak, and in the moment of your declaration, their spirits are cleansed. Now, it's, it's sad. Turn over. Turn over. There's only one thing that can prevent this process. Listen carefully. If your spirit man is not positioned accurately to receive the word. John, James 4 says, receive the word of God with meekness. Let's say, for example... You sit with a spirit of pride as opposed to humility. And you're hearing the word. Guess what? The word does nothing for you. Even in the moment of your hearing it. Right? The word of God is only able to save the soul dependent on how it is heard. With what attitude it is, it is heard. Right? Now, think about it like this. And I've quoted uh, a reference here. A defiled spirit, top of page 2, can reject the word. Judas heard Jesus' words, but his words did not cleanse him. I mean, Jesus says to all the disciples, you are clean to the words which I have spoken to you. But of Judas, it is said, John 13, verse 10 and 11, and you are clean, but not every one of you. There's one amongst the group here that heard everything I said. The rest were cleansed, but you remain defiled. You heard the same Bible study. You heard the same series. But the word did not have the cleansing effect on you. So Jesus says of Judas, okay, you are all clean. He's talking to his disciples. But not every one of you. For he knew who should betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Judas still had a defiled spirit. Right? His spirit was wrecked by greed and covetousness. Right? Agreed, obviously, for financial, filthy lucre, financial gain. And just that, listen carefully, just that prevented uh, and, and neutralized the power of the word of the Lord in his life. Remember the seed that fell amongst the thorns? How did Jesus interpret that in the parable? The seed is the word, right? The thorns are the, the cares of this life and what? Two things. Cares of this light and the deceitful nature of riches. 
if you have your heart bent on the inordinate pursuit of wealth at any cost, that's just that disposition in you. When the seed of the word comes, it chokes it. Hmm? So that's a, that's a carnal expression. So when I say carnality, it's not just about the, the fleshly, sexually related sins. There's a host of things that can quench the power of the word of the Lord in your life. Okay? The thing for me about carnality is this. You've got to deal with it. Otherwise, like I said, carnality, like in Lot's case, affected the soul. And the soul can rise up in rebellion, flex its muscles to the spirit and say, I am in charge here. Right? So no matter what you, spirit, are hearing from the word of the Lord, um, I will override that. It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. I often think of Judas, eh? You are right there, bro. You heard all the teachings. You saw all the miracles. You still did what you did. Dr. Segi said he's the most powerful man on the earth. <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> Not to have been changed by walking with Jesus for three years. You got the eternal Logos incarnate in the flesh, walking with you, speaking powerful words, People marvel, never a man spake like this, they said of him. And you can still get up to your fleshly nonsense in the midst of all of that. Right? So that is why, I'll say it again. Now are you clean to the words which I have spoken to you? But when you hear those words, make certain you sit there with a spirit correctly positioned. A spirit wanting to change. Right? And so I really want to encourage you. Um, to, uh, I, I would think of it like this. From, my, from now on, every time I go, I like to sit at a Bible study or under the sound of the preaching of the Word of the Lord. It's an opportunity for greater cleansing. I sit there and say, I'm going to be washed. Wash me, Ephesians 5.26, wash me with the washing of the water by the Word of God. Remember the man in the pool of Siloam? Jesus, go wash your eyes. Pipto. Wash several times. Immerse yourself in continuous washing. Amen. Tell your neighbor you're going to be more clean at about half past eight to nine than right now <laughs> by what you've heard. Amen. Come on, just declare, repeat after me. Now are you clean? Through the words which I've released to you. Say it again. Now are you clean? Through the words which I've spoken to you. Words spoken can cleanse you. Consider how the CEV and the ERV versions frame this. You are already clean because of what I've said to you. I like that. You are already clean because of what I have said to you. The English Revised Version says, I love this version. You have already been prepared to produce more fruit by the teaching I have given you. That's powerful. When I read that, my heart leapt. God is saying, Randolph, all the teaching you've heard up to this point were only but preparatory to what I'm about to do in your life. Read it again with understanding. You have already been prepared to produce more fruit by the teaching I have given to you. Amen. Tell your neighbor the teachings have prepared you for this time. Come on, declare the teachings have prepared you for this time. I want to activate your spirit, man. I've been 
literally crying to God and saying, God, we've taught so much, released so much, painstakingly, worked so hard at doctrine, at, at enunciating your principles, imparting them to your people, but we don't see the commensurate fruit attendant with that process. And, and the Lord gave me, and I saw this, the Lord reassured me. All the teachings were, prepared, were preparatory to a build-up to this time. If you lay in stall all those principles, like Ralph preached at the Open Heaven Conference, if you, they were simply to prepare a structure in your life, now that the structure is prepared, God says, I'm ready to fill it. Right? I'm ready to fill it. Tell you never get ready to be filled. There's so many things I'm trusting God for, and I'm, I'm realizing now all the principles were structural preparation to contain a blessing that God's about to break forth upon us. Right? It's true. Tell someone it's true. Right? I refuse to believe that all the teachings were a waste of time. My word will never return unto me void, Isaiah 55, but it shall accomplish the thing for which I have sent it. Okay? There is no voidness in God for his word to return to him void. And if we've released principles, all I can ask you to is, um, like Leo said to me at the camp, he listened to the words of our mouth series for, at length in his car, in his travels. Just take all of the nuggets that we've released. This ministry is now almost seven and a half years old. There's so much we've released. There were like structural preparations. There were like um, the architecture that God was wielding to contain what he's about to put on us to manage on his behalf. So I would encourage you. That's why I, I beg of you. Listen to the CDs. Listen to them over and over again. I listened to Dr. Segi who preached at Santon on Tuesday at Thamos POA this week. Tuesday morning. And there again he stressed to, to the guys. You've got to listen to one word over and over and over and over again. Okay. It's God's word. For, it's God's word. Tell me about It's God's word. And at least saying for crying out loud. It's for crying out loud. It's God's word. You try, you take it, and you flop it somewhere, and you're expecting results. Right? It's God. It's heavenly resource at the end of the day that we are treating so flippantly and so lightheartedly. Right? You put, you obey, you put that structure in place. I guarantee you, there's a harvest that is about to come to you. Amen? Let's revisit 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Here again, I just love this prayer of Paul. Everyone say, this is a prayer. Right? Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of of evil. Now, now means after you've done verse 21 and verse 22. Abstain from all forms of evil. Um, examine everything. Hold fast to that which is good. Now may the God of peace himself. I love this. Who's going to do the sanctified? Please circle himself there. This is like God got a promise for you that uh, Darrell, I'm going to sanctify your spirit, soul, and body myself. Right? personal promise, a guarantee that God has given us. May, may the God of peace himself 
sanctify you entirely. I pray your spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved, complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. The faithfulness of God in verse 24 is only activated once you've done your personal responsibility in verse 21 and verse 22. Once you've done verse 21 and 22, once you've examined everything, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil, then the faithfulness of God promised kicks in and God says, seeing that you are making the effort, tell someone, make the effort. God says, remember the Bible says, um, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When does God draw near to you? When you take the initiative and you draw near. I guarantee you, the moment Philippians says, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Next verse. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, when you work, God works. You work out your own, then God works in you to will and to, to do. Amen? Now, look at this. Everyone say sanctify. Simply means to make clean. You can see in your notes, surrender pure. Thank you. Tell your neighbor or repeat after me. My spirit, soul, and body will be clean. My spirit, soul, and body will be pure. My spirit, soul, and body is holy. My spirit, soul, and body is consecrated. That's what the word means, sanctify. Paul says, I pray this prayer for you. Your spirit, soul, and body. He says, may. So it's a desire. Now may. My prayer for you. King James says, I pray that you'd be pure, holy, consecrated in all three parts of you. Okay? And then... He says, be preserved, complete. I like this. Just testify to the person next to you. Come on, just work with me here. I'm making declarations, affirmations in the spirit. Tell someone, okay, you prophesy to the person next to you and say, you have a complete spirit. Come on. Tell them you have a complete soul. You have a complete body. This word in the Greek literally means, look at the second statement there. In the, in the Greek, the word complete, if, if, if I say, Audrey, you have a complete spirit. I don't want to discern incompleteness in spirit here in this house again. When, I, when you come and engage at any level, I want to see completeness in you, in your spirit component. Right? And the word complete, where Paul says, I pray your spirit be Preserved, complete, literally means this. Look at the second sentence there in the middle of the page. It says, it refers to that which retains all that was initially allotted to it, lacking nothing for its wholeness. Right? Lacking nothing for its wholeness. I'm going to talk later on in the year about the bruising of the soul. How the enemy... Enemy's only leverage over you is the degree to which he has bruised you and you got scars, hurts, reminders in your soul. Right? The prophecy in Genesis 3.15, 
the, the seed of the woman will bruise the heel or the head of the servant, but the serpent will bruise the heel. There's something called the bruising of Satan. The only legitimate sort of advance that Satan has in your life is the extent to which he can hurt you or bruise you, the word, in the area of your soul. So someone has tripped you up and you refuse to forgive them. Let's say bitterness, serious thing, right? Nullifies everything we are talking about. Right? So the area of the bruising of Satan in your soul has got to be dealt with. But that's a forthcoming attraction. Tell your neighbor, we're going to be whole in every respect. Right? I, I, I'm saying, God, do you remember what, what Mike said in the prophecy in reference to me? He charged the church. Randolph has entered a new season. You don't know him. Everyone has got to relearn him. Relearn him, not after the flesh, but re-know him and learn him after the, after the spirit. Right? If you knew me last month, I'm sorry. You don't know me. I've gone from that place that I was at. There's been an elevation and a migration. And my praise God, may in my spirit component within me, may I lack nothing that you originally, initially allotted to me. Right? I don't want to be deficient in my spirit. Right? Now, I'll talk more about this as we go along. Everyone say without blame. The prayer of Paul is that your body, soul, and spirit be complete and it must be faultless. The word in the Greek without blame is faultless. Now, that means, like for example, one of the requirements for an elder is that he must be without blame. Same word. Hmm? Especially by those, it says, from without. The Gentiles, the, un, the unsaved. Without blame means no opportunity to blame. Your life got to be so impeccably, impeccable, impeccably pure. There must not even be a reason to point a finger. That's the impression. It, there mustn't be not even grounds to talk. That's the level of purity we are going to. Right? That is why we, the, the scripture we read last week was very important. All things are permissible. But not all things are expedient. Not all things are profitable. All things, remember the, the message Bible? All things might be technically legal, but not spiritually appropriate. You can be doing something in pure innocence, and you can cause people to talk. And you're, in your heart, you're pure, you're innocent. I am saying get to the place where even you function in total wisdom, where even though you are not wicked, but you're doing things in purity and innocence, you don't even give people reason to talk by virtue of how you've conducted yourself in wisdom. Tell them without blame. Without blame. I mean, they, they spoke of Jesus for many things. They accuse him for many, many, many things. There's some things you can't help. But the Bible says as much as it lies within your power, you live peaceably with all men. So long as you're personally responsible, so long as it lies within your power, you make sure that there's peace between you and all men. Don't be the cause for the absence of peace. Right? As much as personally you're personally responsible for, live peaceably with, with all men. Now, um, 
I was really blessed as I meditated. I'll talk about meditation in two, three weeks' time, the art of biblical meditation. As I meditated on First Thessalonians, never ever before have I focused on the nature of the God who promised this. This is the God of peace. Sometimes we just miss the little words. Eh? That's why meditation is so important. You can miss a nugget in the whole scripture if you just gloss over it. But when you revolve in your mind over and you churn, and the Lord just drew me, and the Lord said to me, Reynolds, did you see who promised this? It's not, it, Paul did not say, may the God of, if I was writing this, I would have written, may the God of power <laughs> preserve your whole spirit, soul, and body uh, uh, complete and blameless unto the coming of our Lord. Or may the God of love, right? Or may the God of mercy, I would have said, may the God of grace, because I know what grace is. Paul specifically says, the facet of the nature of God that I'm tapping into to bring this result of preserved, complete, and without blame in your spirit, soul, body, is the God of Irene, peace. Greek word, Irene. The God of peace. Sanctify you. Tell your neighbor, peace be with you. And basically, you know, the, um, the principle is this. Whenever writers in the Scripture or people who prayed in the Scripture pray to God and focus on a particular facet of the nature of God that they're accentuating, in this case, peace, in their mind, they are always hopeful by that focus that that dynamic within God will be released in their experience. Right? So, so for example, in the tithing scripture, who rebukes the devourer? Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, the Lord's abode, the mighty man of war, will rebuke the devourer. In this context, listen carefully, I pray um, that all of you right now will be the most peaceful people on earth. I pray peace to your spirit, peace to your soul, peace even to your body. What does peace? It's the Greek, Irene, is equivalent to the Hebrew, Shalom, and it basically has the same meaning. At the bottom of page 2, it means wholeness, soundness, health, prosperity. I like that. The God of peace wants to bring peace to my spirit. The God of peace wants to bring peace to my soul. The God of peace wants to bring peace to my body. All three parts need to be filled with the peace of God. That is, repeat after me, tranquility, health, wholeness, completeness, soundness, wealth, prosperity, welfare. All of these concepts are locked into the Greek word peace. Health, wholeness, soundness, uh, goodness, prosperity, tranquility, health. Who needs health and wealth? That is why I'll discuss, this is uh, on Sunday morning, we'll talk about the prosperity of the soul. We'll talk about how Every form of prosperity. This is a forthcoming attraction for Sunday. Every form of prosperity is linked to the, to the prosperity of your soul. I'm, I'm convinced, I've studied this the past two or three weeks in the Bible. Every expression of outward prosperity, and there are four that I've discovered, which we'll share on Sunday, is all dependent on how your soul is prospering. 
when, when Paul says, may the God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. And I'm praying to the God who is peace, the God who has got tranquility within him, composure, soberness, soundness, health, wealth, prosperity. I pray those components to your spirit, soul, and your body. And what does John pray? Third John verse 2. Beloved, I pray above all things that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Right? You prosper even as the soul prospers. Exactly what constitutes the prosperity of the soul we'll talk about on Sunday. Amen? But just prophesy to the person next to you. Tell them prosperity to your spirit. Prosperity to your soul. Prosperity to your body. Come on, find somebody else. Quickly. Say peace to your spirit. Quickly. Peace to your soul. Peace to your body. Find another person. Tell them health to your spirit. Health to your soul. Health to your body. Find another person. Quickly. Tell them tranquility to your spirit. Tranquility to your soul. Tranquility to your body. Find another one. Quickly. Tell them wealth to your spirit. Wealth to your soul. Wealth to your body. Paul says, I pray these things for you. It was his prayer for the Thessalonians. Everything that is locked up in the God of peace. You see, a lot of people only focus on uh, material prosperity in the body. And they are sick, wrecked with bitterness and unforgiveness in the soul. And they might be even far from God in the spirit. The wicked can prosper. Psalm 73. The wicked do, does prosper. In fact, there's a man in the Gospels. The Bible says he prospered. He built barns. He tore doors. He built. But the requirement is tonight. What's required? You've got, you, you got all those things going for you. But your soul has just been lost. You can never prosper at the expense of not prospering in your spirit and your, and your soul. Okay? Everyone say total prosperity. That is what we are after. Right? The previous dispensation in some quarters preached an imbalanced prosperity message. But we are after it, but we are after it in its proper placement and function. Amen? Right? You can't be rich and have no friends. Then you are very poor. Can't be rich and be sick. All your money is spent on medical bills. <laughs> I pray. Tell me, I pray. Can't get away from the scripture. I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless, uh, be preserved complete and with blameless or without blame unto the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm praying, God, I. I want to be the most whole person I know. Not fractured, not bruised by Satan at any level. Not that I am without trial. Yes, I went through stuff, but I've come out from each one. I've emerged more whole. What the enemy intended for evil, God worked for my, God worked for my, for my good. Page three. Sorry, we'll never finish this. I thought we were going to rush through this, but the Spirit is taking this meeting another way tonight. 
I want to talk about the filthiness of the Spirit because that is a serious concern to me. Now, if Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 says, I pray that your spirit be preserved complete and without blame, faultless. In 2 Corinthians 7 is one of my favorite verses in reference to holiness. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement. Tell you never cleanse yourself. And remember what I've just said to you. The moment you do the first few, God kicks in and His aid comes alongside you. The moment you take the, take the initiative to cleanse yourself, stop watching the programs you normally watch. Stop reading the books you normally read that take you away from God. Cut off the friends that are rabble, mixed multitude in your life that incite fleshly desires within you. The moment you start the process, the aid of God comes alongside you. Holy Spirit. Right? And you can live and walk in Him and overcome by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You can be set free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8. Now, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from defilement of two things. Defilement of flesh and defilement of spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of Randolph. Does it say that? In the fear of who? In the fear of God. Who is the standard that you must always look up to? Who is the standard of holiness? Be holy for your he- as your heavenly Father is, is holy. Standard is always God. Right Now, uh, let's just quickly deal with this. I like the, the, the order of things. Defilement of flesh and defilement of spirit. That is why I'm convinced. If you don't deal with the defilement of flesh in your carnality, that ultimately the soul becomes vexed, disempowered, and the soul can be strengthened with carnal desires to such a degree where even the spirit becomes defiled. Right? And your spirit man becomes impure, unholy before the Lord. So Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. Even this part must be preserved. Do you know what? The purity of, the, of your spirit is your personal responsibility. i say that again. The purity of your spirit is your personal responsibility. And Paul says, he talks about defilement, which in the Greek simply means, I like this word, filthiness. It means you've been contaminated. You've been stained. Affected. But you must perfect Holiness. The word perfect simply means to bring it to its completeness, its perfection. Okay? Now, everyone say therefore. That's how this verse starts. Therefore, having these promises, let us do this. So, we can't do this without looking at what was promised. Not so? He says, having these promises, because if I don't um, cleanse myself from defilement of flesh and spirit... I negate the promises. I abort the promises. Not so? The promises don't become operative in my life. Contextually, the promises are everything he said in the previous chapter. Let's have a look at some of them. Time won't permit us. In your own time, read the whole of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But just from verse 14 to verse 18 for our purposes tonight. What did God promise that could be aborted if you don't keep your spirit pure? This is what the Bible says. Verse 14. 
do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with the unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. Now here is what God said. You should circle what God said. The words God said. What God said is the promises that Paul is referring to. Having these promises. So this is what God promised you. I will be in them. And the bottom verse 1 simply means it's a promise to make us his permanent dwelling. I will be in them. I will walk among them. The word walk consistently is used as an image reflecting the execution or the carrying out of God's promises. Number two, I will walk among them. Uh, number three, I will be their God. So I didn't have it in there. Just write it in there somewhere. It should be number three. I left it out. I will be there. Their God, right? God claims personal ownership of you. I will be their God. And then they will be my people. Having us as his people, exact representations of himself. Then verse 17, therefore, come out among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you. Repeat after me, I will welcome you. And that for me, as I've written in number four, this suggests intimacy. He draws us near to relate intimately with us. I will draw near to you. I will welcome you. And I love verse 18. I will be a father to you. I will be a father to you. You can, you can explode the fatherhood of God in your world. You can uh, access it. I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. And he starts verse 7. Having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Right? If you look at the list, aren't these powerful promises? Right? Just to read them again. I will dwell with you. I will walk with you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. All that potentially is aborted if we don't deal with defilement of flesh and, and, and spirit. Okay? Let's go on to the next page because of time. Now, quickly. At the top of page four, I put down four symbolic representations of light in the Bible. Right? Whenever you see light in the scripture, you always think of four things. God, His Word, spiritual fathering, and your spirit. Please, you mustn't forget this. Right? Everyone say light. See, if I say to you, light! Now, you're all Bible students here. Especially here in this house, you're well taught, I think. Now, if I say light to you, automatically your mind must raise. God is light. Right? God is light. Secondly, you must think, his word is light, right? We know all the scriptures are there in your notes. His word is light. Thirdly, you must think, my spiritual father is light. Remember what the men said of David, right? Uh, he is the lamp of Israel, right? And he was the spiritual father over the 
over, over the nations. And lastly, you must think, for our purposes here tonight, my spirit is light. Proverbs twenty twenty seven, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. And in Psalm eighteen twenty eight, David said, you light my lamp. You light my lamp. You illumine my spirit. Right? So the light of God's word, God is light. His word is light. His representative over you, spiritual father, is light. And your spirit is light. Right? There's no place for darkness here. Right? There's no place for, for, for darkness. So when a spiritual father stands, representative of God who is light, he stands as the lamp of Israel or the lamp of the household. Right? What is in the right hand of the Lord over the church at Ephesus? Seven stars. Seven stars are the angels. Seven angels. Even their representation is always illumination and, and light. Right? So I stand as one who is light to you, speaking light, which is word to you. That light must be captured in your light, which is your, which is your spirit. So in this part of you, should be the brightest part of you. And the light in here must diffuse into your soul and be evident in your body. Do you know what I really believe? I even believe that as we get the soul renewed in line with the spirit, that even our anatomical, molecular makeup of the physical body has got to be transformed by the intensity of light diffusing out towards it. This is our belief. Mortality is going to break. And this corruption is going to put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. And we will truly shine like Jesus shone on the Mount of Transfiguration. Where his visage, his form was changed before their very eyes. Cities set on a hill cannot be hidden. Tell your neighbor, I shine. I want to see you shine. For example, please smile. Say someone, just show me some teeth. Have your light, your body. I'm, you know, some people say, I'm in the kingdom. When I look at you and say, if you are in the kingdom, I don't want that kingdom. Everything about you is dull, is, is sour, is forlorn. At least manifest the light. And this is why I'm serious, brethren. The state of our spirits needs to be so illumined that it infiltrates affects my soul, my thinking, my mind, my will and emotions, and it even becomes evidence in a body in progression towards immortality. Right? Tell you now, I want to see you shine. I want to see you shine. Got to get this right. Got to get this right. Right? I don't want no dragging of the feet in here anymore. You come on purpose. You come focused. You come revved up. You don't need a song. A worship team to rev you up, to lift your hands. You come, you're, you're, I'll talk about the fervency of spirit if we get to it. You come like Apollos, where the Bible says he was a man fervent in his spirit. Right? People have lost the vavavum in their spirit life. Right? We all go through stuff, but the stuff is designed to make you better. Right? The more stuff you go through, the more you should change. I believe. Right? For the temporary 
nature of tribulation, Paul says, worketh in us a more profound, eternal weight of glory. The more you, the more you trial you go through, the greater the shine. The greater the shine. Right? That's why the Bible says the spirit of a man will sustain him through any adversity. Hmm? Spirit. No more weakness. Tell you that, but no more weakness. I'm even trusting God. No more illness. I want this thing to break everything. Every limitation in the flesh. And that is where we are headed. This is headlines of a forthcoming attraction. Tell you never immortality. Light and immortality. He brought light and immortality through the gospel. Jesus did. This is what Paul said to Timothy when he wrote to him in his first letter. Jesus did. It's another teaching. Right? Now, as I've shown you on page four, the two different ways which I think we should diagrammatically represent spirit, soul, and body. I, but I love diagram one better than diagram two. I love this one the most. Right? Because, yeah, I believe the largeness or the size of the circle, as you can see, indicates the predominance and influence of each part. So I want my spirit circle to be large, the largest. My soul and then my my body, right? That is why when Paul and Barnabas came to Galatia, what does the Bible say? When he writes in Galatians 2, he says, When Barnabas and I came, Peter, James, and John, the three were closest to the Lord. Peter, James, and John, when they saw Paul and Barnabas enter, you know what the Bible says of them? It says, when they saw them, they did what? They perceived what? Grace. Did not see a short, bald man like Paul was, and ugly too they say, by Jewish tradition. When this man walked in, I mean, Paul was, even in Corinthians, he says, I know I'm unappealing in my flesh. Right? But Paul says, when Peter, James, and John saw me, they discerned spirit capacity. They discerned grace within me. Right? That we don't know man by his race. We know man by his grace. Don't know man by his face. With his pimples and his frikies and freckles. We know a man by his grace. Got to get this right. Tell you never know a man after the spirit. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. We now know no man after the flesh. Even though we knew Christ once before. After the flesh. But henceforth, from now on, we know no... I don't know Sean as a Zimbabwean. Ex-Zimbabwean. Colored brew. Right? I don't know him after the flesh, married to Fiona, with three, two boys. <laughs> we prophesied. <laughs> don't know this family after natural evaluation. I all, I'm so only supposed to know a man by the discernment of his spirit capacity, the grace. What did Paul pray to the Galatians? Galatians 6, 18, 2 Timothy 4, 22, Philemon 1, 25. Three scriptures tell us, grace be with your spirit, Paul says. The place of reception of grace is your spirit. So the spirit of a man tells me his grace capacity. Grace be with your spirit. I want to say this again. The place of reception of grace is your spirit. Paul said this. Galatians 6, 18. 2 Timothy 4, 22. Philemon 1, 25. Grace be with your spirit. The reception of grace is your spirit. But the sphere of impact of grace 
is your soul and your body. The grace content there must filter outward. Okay? So tell your neighbor, no Randolph after his grace. Don't know me, don't know me after my race. I'm not a colored brew from Wentworth. I'm a man sent from the heavens to you. Amen? Now quickly, we'll do one more because of time. I really wanted to finish the study, but we'll never at this rate. Right? Let's just do one more. A darkened spirit. This is dangerous. I actually put the word in dangerous there, but I took it out of the heading before we printed it. A darkened spirit. If your spirit is light, the lamp of the Lord is the light of the Lord. You light my lamp. My spirit should be illumined, well lit. Floodlight. I think of, I think of my spirit, I think of a massive floodlight casting light on the entirety of my being. Right? But there's a verse in Proverbs 20, verse 20, that's very dangerous. It says, He who curses his father or mother, his lamp will go out in the time of darkness. Above the word lamp, put their spirit. Because Proverbs 20, 27 says, My spirit is the lamp of the Lord. Now if your lamp, your spirit is darkened in the time of darkness, it's dangerous because you've got no die, no direction. And just go right to the end of the paragraph, first paragraph, where it explains what darkness refers to. In the, in the Hebrew, the word darkness here refers to misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow. So, remember I said, when you think of light, you think of four things. Quickly, what are they? God, His Word, spiritual fathering, my spirit. Now it says, for example, if you curse mother and father, which we will take as a representative principle for spiritual fathering, right? If you, if you dishonor your spiritual father and you curse spiritual parentage, it says your, your spirit, your lamp goes out, becomes darker. Right? That is why I keep saying it's the most dangerous area to traverse when you speak dishonorably about your leaders, then you are in serious, serious danger area. Right? When you discredit the one, the light who brings you the light from God who is the light, to lighten up your spirit which is light, and you disesteem that voice, you disrespect, you discredit, you speak ill of, you curse. Right? The impact will definitely be a darkened spirit. God says, I switch your lamp off. You're not dead because the body without the spirit is dead. You're still alive, but spiritually dead. Right? We hear you speak, I don't discern grace. Don't discern anointing. Don't discern a flow. Dead, 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 dead. It's one of the most dangerous things. Eh? It says, he will curse his father and mother. His lamp will go out in the time. Circle the word timely. The word timely doesn't refer to uh, chronos or time as in a season, a period of time. The word timely, the Greek, rather the Hebrew word, um, is aishon, third line from the top. It relates to the pupil of one's eye. The pupil of one's eye. The pupil is a hole located in the center of the iris. 
of the eye that allows light to enter the retina. Now you know this. The person who curses and doesn't honor the representation of God, the light vested within the person of his spiritual father who brings the light of the word to him, will experience darkness in his spirit. All it means is that your pupil, the word time, this is the pupil of the eye, right? The iris allows light to enter to the retina. It says your pupil will be darkened. In other words, no light will be permitted to enter your world of spirit within you. And he who walks in darkness does not know whether he goes. And so what will your result be? Everyone say darkness. Um, misery, destruction, death, ignorance. Things will suddenly appear hard for you to understand in the spirit. Right? You digress from a spiritual man into a natural man, into a carnal man. You cannot receive the things of the spirit. Right? Remember in Matthew 6, 23, I got the verse there. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of your whole body will be full of light. Isn't this marvelous verse to connect to the other two? My spirit is the lamp of the body. This verse tells me the eye is also the lamp of the body. My eye is full of light. My whole body will be full of light. And light, amongst many things, is a representation of all the characteristics in God. Okay? Now, consider the following verses. We know Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. We know Psalm 18, 28. You light my lamp, the Lord illumines my, my darkness. Proverbs 16, 15. In the light of a king's face there is life. Psalm 112, 4. Light arises in darkness for the upright. And my personal favorite, Job 29, 3. When his lamp shone over my head, that uh, lamp, my spirit, shone over my head, my soul, by his light, I can walk through darkness. I can walk through destruction. I walk through calamity. I walk through misery. I walk through death. I walk through ignorance. I walk through sorrow. Right? So the person whose spirit is illuminated, darkness is not his experience at, at all. So just remind your neighbor, don't curse father and mother. Don't curse father and mother. Rather bless them. If your spouse tries it, warn them. Because if you're married and you allow one spouse to do it, by virtue of your joining, both of you experience the repercussions. One household. Hmm? Right? We don't entertain any negative thought towards Thamo, our spiritual father. We don't entertain even a, a flippant word, even, even, even if it's said in innocence, with no meaning. It's not entertained in my mind. It's not permissible from my mouth, because I know the danger associated with that, with that area. Right? You even never uncover your father's nakedness. Right? A perceived flaw in his character. You don't uncover it and brand it about you do everything to cover, and the principle of honor must be paramount in your... In, in, that's the way of blessing. Right? Honor your father and mother in the Lord, it will be well with you. Tell him it will be well with you. 
In fact, you will live a long life, Paul adds. It'll be well with you. You live a long time on the earth. Amen? Right? Tell your neighbor, light. Come on. Light, 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 light. Right? Repeat after me. I will not have a darkened spirit. My spirit will always be filled with light. That promise comes to those who do not curse father and, and mother. Turn over the page. We've got 10 minutes. A steadfast or right spirit is one that is erect, firm, and is established. Now, when David committed adultery and murder, he realized the state of his, the result of his carnal expressions, right? He coveted another man's wife, right? Uh, he broke two of the laws of, of the, the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet another man's. Right? And he realized, I've sinned, and he realized, sure, these things have seriously affected my spirit component. So what does he pray in Psalm 51 verse 10? Create in me a clean heart and do what to my spirit? I like the words he used. He said, renew my spirit. Renew, not just any spirit, renew a steadfast spirit. The word in the Greek, in the Hebrew rather, for renew means to repair and to rebuild. I like that. The spirit of a man can be repaired. The spirit of a man can be rebuilt. This is my prayer is to God, if I failed you in any respect, and if I lack completeness in my spirit, things initially allotted to me are missing, then repair me, rebuild me. Repair and rebuild, renew my spirit. And the word steadfast, I like this, is kun, which means to be erect, to stand upright, firm, established, and, and fixed. Firm, established, and fixed. Have you seen, uh, symbolically, a person that's erect? If, if I say I'm erect, I'm firm, I'm fixed, I'm established, it, it suggests vigilance, it suggests Attentiveness. I'm not waning. I'm not, I'm not uh, unaware. Right? I am focused. As you see, many Christians today, they, their spirits are not steadfast. Right? There's too much of a, of, a, of a languishing, of a casual approach in the spirit of the person. Right? And they lack vigilance internally because... If something is not erect, it's slouching or it's lying down. It's not firm and fixed. The word also suggests, I should have written this there, it suggests immovability. If I say you're a steadfast man, it means nothing can easily throw this guy. He's firm, he's well-rooted, well, well-grounded, right? Erect. I want to encourage you, developed and erect spirit. Trust God. Pray the prayer of David. Say, Lord, yes, I've I've sinned maybe willfully or consciously or unconsciously. I want my spirit back to its originally allotted portion. I want it back. So God created me a clean heart and renew, repair and rebuild. And erect, established, steadfast spirit with, a steadfast spirit within me. One of the reasons you can see here why Israel went astray. The writer of Psalm 78 says this in verse 37. Their heart was not erect with God. Their heart 
was not steadfast toward him. Nor were they, nor were they faithful to his, to his covenant. Quickly go over to page, the bottom of page 11. I just like Apollos' example. Apollos was a man fervent in spirit. It says, this man, in Acts 18.25, had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. And the word fervent here is zeal, right? not zoe. This is zeal, which means fervent. And I like the meaning, eh? To boil with heat. Have you ever seen boiling water? The bubbling, the movement? That must be the temperature of your spirit. Tell you never, I've got a boiling, bubbling spirit. You know, for, for many people, I sense tiredness in the spirit. Your spirit must be effervescent. It must be fervent. It must boil with heat. Another, another meaning of zeal is to boil with fervency or zeal. If you're zealous, you're excited about something. Not so? Amen? It's amazing, eh? How Luke describes Apollos. When Luke wrote the book of Acts, when Luke thinks of Apollos, he says, this man, mighty in, I like this duo, mighty in doctrine, mighty in the scriptures, and fervent in his spirit. Would love to have met Apollos. Hmm? The Bible says he taught the way of the Lord accurately. A fervency, a zealousness in his spirit. Right? High five the person next to you and say, be fervent in spirit. Have some vavavum, some boil. Have some, some intensity in the content of your spirit. When I ask you to pray, mustn't hear, oh, he asked me to pray, here goes, Father, da 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 da. I want to hear you connecting with the heavens in your spirit. I want to hear you piercing something. When you read, when you preach, when you pray, when you're talking a principle, speak from your spirit. Right? Out of your belly shall flow rivers. The actual translation is gushes of living water from the realm of your spirit. Amen?